Um, just a couple of comments quickly. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us. Uh, the worship was just wonderful, and I was just thinking how great Tilly was here with baby Ruth, watching mum do worship, and I was thinking, what, how wonderful is that to grow up in your dad's arms, watching mum lead a, a community in worship? And um, Paul was over here on the guitar, and his uh, young new bride, uh, not that he has an old bride, but <laughs> his, his new and only bride, <laughs> uh, was here, and I was thinking, that must be the most romantic scene, seeing your husband uh, leading a congregation in worship. What would be more wonderful? You could go watch him do his engineering during the day. <laughs> Boring. Or you could watch him lead. And, um, and then Nath, and I don't think Ruby's here today, um, sick at home. So there's not much to say about you, but, um, <laughs> but you're here. Yeah, she's online and you're here. And Harry and thinking, your two sons... Uh, growing up, running around, if they pay attention for two seconds to see dad uh, on the drums. How wonderful that is for children to grow up seeing that. Um, and then Liesl as well. I remember a friend saying, uh, a guy named Leonard Nass would know him as well. He, we were worshiping, and I remember him saying, after the service, that's my wife. There was a, there was a, girl, a single girl named Janice who had kind of led us in a, in a worship song, and he had fallen in love with her. As she was, he's like... Dear God, that's exactly who I want to marry. Look at her love for Jesus. Look at her. So, um, no pressure, Liesl, but <laughs> um, hope next time you lead us in worship, you're not distracted by that. Um, you keep your eyes on Jesus. And then uh, just mentioning Liesl, I don't know if you read the blog this week, but just wrote an outstanding blog, really great um, and really Christ-centered, which was wonderful. So you can go and, and do that. Anyway. Let's get to the text, but thank you, worship team, um, for leading us in worship. It, it really just is wonderful. Um, we're going to do a drive-by today, uh, and primarily we're going to look at the widow, but we're also going to look at uh, the Sadducees and scribes. There's three points, Joel, if you can put them up. There's three kind of scenes. As we do a drive-by, we're going to do a rear-view mirror, uh, look back and, and see what's going on. We're going to stop at the carnival scale and see what's happening there. And then we're going to have a, uh, lastly, we're just going to look at a poker game that's going on and, and see what's going on there. And all the while, I think we will uh, learn some stuff that we can go home and apply. Um, so let's go with me on the journey. Uh, firstly, we're going to look at the rearview mirror as we go on. We look back and see what's happening. Now, Jesus has come to church. You know, Jesus hasn't gone outside. He hasn't taken us all to Northbridge. And he's pointing fingers around and going, you know, like, don't be like that, that person or that person or don't be like, you know, the, whatever it is or wherever you imagine uh, sinners go hang out. Um, just to remind you, the Bible says we're all sinners. We've all fallen short. So we're all equally bad. There's no one who's worse than someone else. We all need God's love and, and Jesus equally. Jesus has come to church and he's looking around at... The, those in the building, in the space. Now, they're not in the building, they're, the, they're outside the building it, itself because in this church-ish area, there's only a few people who are allowed to go further into the building. So he's outside with the masses um, and he's looking at churchy people. The Sadducees are some of the elites uh, in terms of the churchy people. And they bring about this uh, kind of the silly story and they want to trip Jesus up. So these churchy people want to um, kind of introduce this theology that's anti-eternal life or resurrection. 
and that's what they're about. And so they put together a silly story. Now, I, I want you to imagine that as we look in the rearview mirror, what we see is a war zone. Just dead bodies everywhere. And on the one side, there's just Sadducees littered everywhere. Just uh, truly dead. And on the other side, we're going to see the scribes in a heap of death as well. On the Sadducees, they've, they've got this kind of 3D weaponized argument, the 3D printed, self-made argument about these, you know, what happens? We'll prove to everyone that uh, there can't be a resurrection from the dead. And this is how we'll prove it. We put together a story. There's this woman, and she marries a guy, and then he dies, and she marries his brother, cause, and they appeal to Moses. Moses is their guy. And obviously, um, Moses gave us the Ten Commandments. God gave it to Moses. Moses gave it to us. So it's important. So that you can't really argue against Moses. You can't. So they use Moses, and they take the levered ma ma uh, marriage which Moses gave, which meant this was it. This is what the marriage was, uh, the Leverite marriage was. If so-and-so uh, were married, and he died, and she hadn't given birth to a son yet, his brother should take her as a wife to give her a son in his brother's name, so that her property and her goods could remain in his family. And so it was really about kind of ongoing, ongoingly taking care of your brother's family, and so they, they tell the story, you know, this brother dies, and that brother dies, and, that brother, and there's seven of them uh, who are trying to help give her a son so that they can have uh, a life, you know, they can have their property and their stuff. And they go, but at the end of the day, then they get raised from the dead, you know, if that could happen, then whose wife is she? That's their point. In other words, is, is heaven an immoral place where the seven brothers share their wife? No. So there can't possibly be a resurrection from the dead because that's just silly. And then Jesus talks to them and says, well, your, your whole assumption is wrong. The idea that anyone's going to be married in heaven is wrong because marriage is the starting place here. And he goes on to go, you need it here because here life is limited and you die and you're going to populate the earth. That's the purpose of marriage. And he goes back and then he also goes to Moses and, and he talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and he, he, talks, he, he brings them into kind of a nuclear weapon, their 3D printer, and goes, you know, God is not God of the dead. That's what they said. God's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what your book says. How can he possibly be their God if they did? He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And they go quiet. <laughs> the argument is blown up. The Sadducees are annihilated. These are the churchy people. These are those who, who may have theologies or whatever. And, and all I'm trying to say about churchy people is it's, it's, it's potentially us. It's not them. It's potentially right here. And so Jesus basically is saying that 100% is eternal life. And the Sadducees' theology is blown up, and we see in our rearview mirror a war field of Sadducees littered across the landscape. But on the other side of the road is the scribes who go, yeah, nice point, Jesus, you tell them. This is the first time the scribes have agreed with Jesus ever. The scribes want to kill Jesus, but now because he's opposed their, their, uh, he's, he's, he's um, advocated for their argument, they're like, yeah, Jesus, you go, man. And, the scribe, and Jesus then turns to everyone else and goes, Hey, beware of these guys. <laughs> what? 
No, we're just like advocating for you. What? Don't, you know, the disciples are like, oh, no, the scribes have been trying to kill him. Now they're for him. Just as they're for him, he's like, don't be like them. The disciples are like, man, this guy does not know how to manage a crowd. Jesus goes, don't be like them. Don't be like these churchy people who wear their robes and want fancy greetings, who like the high places. They want to be special. They want to be superior. They think that they're, you know what, it's kind of talking about your pastors, your priests, your board members, your deacons, whatever the church tradition is. Who's the important people? Who, th- who thinks that they deserve the seats of honor? Who thinks that they've arrived and that the place exists for them or can't exist without them? I mean, I read that and I'm terrified. Oh God, is there any of that in, in my heart? She says, don't be like them. You know, they believe in the resurrection, but they're living as if it's, the resurrection is going to come to them. That God's just going to carry on this life. They're living the healthy, wealthy, uh, it's all about the good life now. He goes, don't be like them. Don't be like the, the churchy people who are like, yeah, man, I'm just looking for, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian and, and uh, I'm just looking for the good life that God has for me. You know, like that job where I'm doing the most good in this world and I'm making lots of money, only working three days a week and I'm only eating plant-based food that's made to taste like animals anyway. And, um, and then like I'll only wear like sustainable clothing and my various shoes and um, yeah, like because I'm a Christian and that's how you, that's how you have to live, you know, and, and God's got this good life for us. And Jesus says, don't be like them. Don't be like the special ones. Oh, man. Now, sorry, if, any, if I described, if someone's wearing bare shoes or something, please don't, that's all right, that's great. Uh, or if you eat plant-based food, that's good. I, I think I do as well. Broccoli is plant-based, right? <laughs> I think every now and then I dip in. It's a, it's a plant, yeah, it's actually, yeah, all right, so we all eat plant-based food, all right, so I'm not having a crack at anyone, I'm just trying to show you, like, maybe we don't wear the robes, maybe we don't have seats to honor people, so it's hard to picture ourselves there, but we do have ways of lifting people and saying those are the ones we need to be like, and they're distractions from the one we're meant to be like, which is Jesus Christ. I'm not sure if Jesus would uh, care whether he wore Nikes or Burks or her, her, I can never say the name, Havanas, or went barefoot, or Havayas. I don't know if Jesus would have an opinion. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. I doubt it. So all I'm trying to do is not kind of uh, hurt anyone's feelings. I'm all just trying to say, what does it look like in our culture to lift people that aren't Christ, that take our attention away from Christ? And as we look in our review mirror, we have our Christian elites scattered in the field. Jesus has just shot down all of their superiority. Don't be like them. And, and there's probably a lot of um, reformed commentaries in the, in the field. Our theology is good. We're, we're, our theology is kind of better than anyone else's. Don't be like that. That can be a distraction from Christ. Anyway, so that's what he gives us. He gives us this war zone of, you know, the Sadducees and the scribes. And he says, leave that behind. Don't be like that. There is an eternal life for you. Live for an eternal life. Don't live for the now. Uh, 
uh, don't, don't think this is it. Don't think it ends in death. We have so many philosophies and worldviews today that say this is it. YOLO, you only live once. Do your best. So many philosophies in your life that come to you. What should I do? Do what's right for you. That's a after death there's nothing philosophy. Don't do what's right for you. Do what's right for you from Jesus. Do what Jesus wants you to do. Take care of number one. If that means taking care of Jesus, then go for it. If you are number one, that's a bad idea. All these philosophies that end in death. Jesus says that there, there is a resurrection. Live with that in mind. All these elites, these superior Christians, whether, whatever way you get to be that, whatever tr our tradition says makes us superior to others. Jesus says, don't be like that. It's a distraction from the one, from Jesus. So we leave that and we go forward and we come to a bit of a carnival. And this is kind of, kind of like what's happening is Jesus is outside and there's thousands of people and we come to this carnival scale. You know those like things where you take a massive hammer and then you beat it down and then it's supposed to go up and go bing. And we see those cartoons and the guys like that. So it's a kind of a scale like this, except in this scale, you come and you bring your gift. Now read the text. It says they brought their gift. We can theologize this too quickly and we can say nothing that we have is our own. It's all given to us. And that's entirely true. If you made the world and its resources and you invented all of jobs and you gave out the gifts and the abilities and the capacities to do those jobs, then something is yours. But nothing is yours because it's all given to you. Even the gifts you have and that you're able to use and the capacity you have and the air you have to breathe and the lungs you have to breathe, those are all given to you by God. So whatever you end up doing with them and earning with them are all God's anyway. That's true. But don't theologize it. Just listen to the story. Jesus says, their gift that they gave. There's a decision that they're making. He's not throwing them under the bus, so we shouldn't either. And they're coming, and as you put this gift on a scale, as you, as you put it in, what this, they have this, this carnival scale has this, is a machine, and it, it starts to chug and to churn and to puff some smoke, and it pu puts out a, a stamp, a sticker, a badge, that you can take off and you can put on, your, on yourself and you can wear it for all to see. And so people come in and they put an offering in and this, this rich guy comes and he puts his offering in and the machine goes and chugs and wobbles around and he gets excited. Everyone's watching. They can hear something's happening. And, and it kind of sounds like it's breaking down as it spits out uh, it, it just like a tenth of a badge. And, it, and he pulls it out and it's a little bit tattered and torn and it barely says the word tar. You can't even see it. It's, it's just going to, just thanks. But there's not enough room for thanks and it barely fits tar, and he takes it, and he's proud of it. Why would he be proud of a broken up, one-tenth, barely there, stamp, badge? He puts it on, because there's so many others who don't even have that. He's already special. Look at this. And you know how many of you know, I've, I've given a tenth to the Lord? It was my gift I gave to him. I've given it. My tenth, how special am I? Me and my wife, I just want you to know, we tithe. That's why our car doesn't break down. <laughs> That's why life goes well for us, because we give to God, so God gives to us. That's my badge, right? The tattered and torn and ruined, good-for-nothing badge, but other people don't have the badge, so I can still wear it. 
Now, just to be correct here, this passage has got nothing to do with tithe. And what's actually happening here is that there's, there's these 12 vessels outside the temple. And what people could do when they came to the temple for this festival is they could come and they could worship God through giving these gifts. And each vessel was there for something else. So you could choose what to support. Like if you go to grilled, I don't know if they do this anymore. It's been so long that I've been eating plant-based food. Um, <laughs> but I think you can go to grilled and get a plant-based hamburger that tastes like a real burger, but that would be gross. Um, <laughs> And they give you a token, and then you put it into a box, and you choose what to support. Is that correct? They still do that? Okay. So you know what I'm talking about. So this is the real thing. That you go there, and you go, oh, I want to take my gift, and I want to put it towards this. You could spread it out. You could dump it all into one. Um, and, that, and then the temple, the priest, and that would use it, use that vessel to support that thing. Um, so it was a wonderful way to just be part of looking after God's people. And that. So let's get back to the story Another a woman comes who's very wealthy and she's wearing her purple robes, which signifies that she's very wealthy because that came from the stinky sea snails that where you get the purple dye. So even though she stunk, she stunk like money. That's why money stinks. Um, no, she stunk like money and uh, everyone saw it. And she comes with her wad of cash and she dumps it in the scale and the machine starts to churn and it tugs and the diesel, you can hear it. Something's happening and pfft, a little badge pops out. A little fragment of a badge pops out. And she takes it with great joy and she sticks it on it, even though it's barely visible. She sticks it on proud. Why? Because so few other people even have them. And then this widow comes along and she takes these two coins. These two coins would amount to about $5 today. It's about 168th of a day's wage. So it's about $5 today. And she puts them in. And the machine, it's like, you know, uh, the, in the movies or if you've, if you've really gone to a casino and, and seen it happen, uh, the, the lights go, the sirens go, it's like someone's won the lottery, the machine's tugging, the diesel's go, you can, it's like bouncing around, Some, the whole crowd's, what, what's going on? Poof, smoke's going everywhere, the pistons are firing, the, the printer comes and boom, a whole badge. It's 3D. You can smell it. It's got this beautiful fragrance. It's glow in the dark. It has like a little siren that just as you walk, it just draws attention. This is like no one has ever seen before. She's put in five bucks. And she takes it almost embarrassed. Jesus says to his disciples, the carnival scale, Jesus says she's put in far more than anyone else. And the disciples are like, no, but we know she didn't. What are you talking about? Have you ever felt like, you know, Jesus, if I could get a raise, I would give more money away. You know, Jesus, if um, we could just take care of our mortgage, if we could pay that off, then we would have so much extra cash to put into your kingdom and other things. Could you just help us with that? Or if you're single and going, you know, Jesus, I'm in high school, and if you can help me to be successful, I'll make you famous. Make me famous, I can make you famous. Give me a stage so I can give you a stage. How much good have uh, Oscar Awards done when someone gets up there, holds it up and goes, I just want to thank God for this. Have you noticed how the crowd falls to their knees and says, yes, I receive Christ. No, no one wants their God. They just want the Oscar. You notice how we barter with God, make my life more wealthy and comfortable and secure and safe 
take care of me, give me uh, a spouse, give me kids, and God, we will use that for your kingdom. Give me a better car. I want a bigger car, four-wheel drive car, God, because then I'll take people like my neighbors or other people, and I'll take them down south, and we'll go four by four, and the whole time we're going to tell them about you, Jesus, and they're going to get saved on our camping trip. Give me that, God. I've been around for a fairly long time, uh, 40-something years. That just doesn't happen. This room is full of a lot of that kind of stuff. And we would all have to admit that none of it makes us better evangelists or better witnesses. If anything, it takes a lot of time to take care of those things, a lot of attention. Not, not saying they're bad things, I'm just saying they're, they're not these sanctified things that suddenly equip us to tell others about Christ. If that's you, here's the good news. Jesus looks at the widow, puts in five bucks, and he says she's given more than anyone. In other words, whatever you have, you can outgive those who have so much more. With Jesus, you don't have to be the smartest, you don't have to be the most gifted. You don't have to have the greatest capacity. You know, those, those people have the capacity for that Like, Look at them. They have a job, and they have these, this, this many friends, and they do that for Jesus. And it's, you all, wow, look at their capacity. I wish I had, was healthy like them. I wish I could do what they could do. Look to Jesus. He goes, your $5 could outdo all they do. You, you just take what's yours. Can you pray for one person? Can you love one person? Do you have five minutes in the day to turn towards others? What do you have? What, what, where's your location? You go, you know, when I get out of high school, I can be a real Christian. I can be a real adult. I'm like, go for it. No, no you can today do more good than anyone else in this room. Well, Mark's a pastor. He's really serving Jesus. No, you can outserve me. On the school basketball court, you can outserve God me. In the boring engineering office, just kidding, Paul. I'm just having a crack. <laughs> just joking. I think like boring in your industry is like a good thing, right? <laughs> I'm just, just joking again. Let's move on. I'm just, just kidding. I don't know why I'm having a crack at Paul, but probably because he's just like the nicest guy in this room. Whoever, whoever we think are the superior ones left, whatever you have, as little as it is, are you sick? Is your life going to be cut short? Are you poor? It's okay. You can still outgive anyone because of the carnival scale, because of how Jesus looks at you. He goes all the way into your heart, not your wallet, not your watch, not your gifts, not your uh, zip code. Not your education, not your gender. He goes all the way into your heart and looks there. And the carnival scale looks like this. It goes, look at what they left behind. Not look at what they gave. You know, the woman in purple dumps, poof, fills the one vessel, pops out a little button badge. Why? Because she's left behind a mountain of idolatry. Oh, I can easily give that because that makes me secure. I'm still safe. I'm still going to be all right. It's like hedging your bets. I will invest in this a little bit because I can invest in that a lot. 
And the widow comes and gives her the $5 that she has. And if, if you look over her shoulder, there's nothing left behind. And Jesus says, on the carnival scale of heaven, if God is, if God is the great weight, he looks at the heart and goes, she outgave. In your heart of hearts, your relationship with God, where are you at? Who are you in the story? Jesus was watching your life. What would he say? This isn't a, this isn't a moment of condemnation or burden. It's a moment of honesty and reflection. Because there's an invitation. The, the, the disciples should be elated. None of the disciples are successful. None of the disciples that Jesus calls to himself are those who've made it in life. They are those who shouldn't have a voice. Peter should not preach the gospel when he does. He shouldn't be able to. Once, one, because he failed to find a rabbi who would train him, he had to get called by Jesus. Then he was back fishing because he denied Jesus. Jesus restores him and he preaches the gospel. The first person to preach the gospel after Jesus is Peter. 3,000 people get saved. What a great privilege. These are not people who we look to and go, man, of course God uses them. These are the surprises. Wow, God, God would be willing to use us? Whoever you are, it's exciting to see that Jesus, the way Jesus speaks of the widow because it makes us know whatever we have in our hands, God can be abundantly blessed by that. Whatever you have. All right, the poker game. Last little look as, as we journey and then we'll be done. Um, I don't know how to play poker, but the only two or three times I've played, I've won. <laughs> Here's the trick. I'll teach you how. Don't learn how to play poker. <laughs> it's a stressful game. There's lots of lying going on. And the best way to play is to remain ignorant and ask questions the whole time. <laughs> Is it good, Now I don't even know if this is a good hand, is it good to have a king, a queen, a jack, an ace, and a whatever, whatever other thing goes before or after that? Is that a good thing to have? Is a question asked. Someone goes, uh, what, you know, imagine what a good hand is, and they go, yeah, that's a very good thing to have. Then you go, oh, all right, well, I'm all in. <laughs> and then they go, well, you're bluffing. No ways. Of course he's bluffing. Well, I'm not so sure. Uh, all right, well, I'm not in. And then you're not bluffing. You, that is what you have. You just not, don't know the game. So you just stay honest and it confuses everyone. So we see this poker game going on. And here's this widow again and, and, and the rich lady in purple and the rich guy. And they're all there playing this poker game. And you can see behind the rich lady and behind the rich guy, they've just got these mountains of abilities and financial resources and time and life is in their hands and you look at the widow she's vulnerable she's weak and in this context widows would be the most amongst the most vulnerable people they would literally have nothing except what's in their hands and so to get rid of what's in your hands is to get rid of everything and you see her and she's vulnerable and weak and she doesn't smell good except for a badge that she got um, and she's just got this five bucks and it comes to her turn and she goes I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in what? I'm all in to trust God. 
I'm all in to depend on God. I've got a way that I want my life to pan out. But I'm giving that up and I'm going all in on God and saying, God, you take care of me and you let my life be what you want it to be. Now, in every religion, that is a cruel thing to do. In some religions, you have to pray five times a day in order for God to accept you. You have to do certain moral things and fast certain fasts in order for God to accept you. You have to give certain things, give up certain things. In some religions, you have to give up pork. If that was a barrier to um, entry, I mean, just who would give up pork? That has got to be a barrier to entry. That is serious. Never had bacon. Never eat bacon if you're part of that religion. There's all these kind of barriers to entry. There's all these things you have to do, you have to give up in order for God to accept you. In order, as Liesl said in her blog, in order for you to be beautiful, in order for you to be acceptable, in order for God to look at you and go, oh, I see you've pretted yourself up enough. All right, come on in. Except in Christianity, where no one has to beautiful. We can't. The message is this. Hey, You are never, ever, ever going to attract Him through your own beauty. That's not the way you come to God. You come to God because He is beautiful and He makes you beautiful. Because His love outweighs your sin. Because His acceptance outdoes your rejection. Because while you weren't chasing after Him, He came and chased after you. Why can we go all in? Because Jesus went all in. Because on the cross, Jesus went all in all in. On the cross, Jesus uh, went all in and relied on, depended on the mercy of God. On the cross, Jesus looked at you and I and He said, I'm not hedging my bets. I'm not being wishful thinking, hopeful. I'm not saying I'll meet you halfway. On the cross, He went, I'm all in for you. And through the mercy of God, we'll be raised to life. And when I'm raised to life, there will be a news, a message, a goodness that you can be all in with me. But I'm making the way. I'm opening the door. And the widow looks at what she has and Jesus says, she gives all she had to live on. Isn't that capital R risk? Jesus gave all he had to live on. He left heaven. He gave up his independence. He went to the cross. He gave himself over to death. All he had to live live on. That's why it was so precious to Jesus. Because she was imbibing the gospel that he was going to fully personalize. She's beginning to understand what's going to be done for her. She can depend on God because God is going to give it all for her. Nothing withheld. Jesus went all in to win. As we're saying today, He went all in to win you and I on the cross. As I land, I just want to ask you some questions. Being all in is essentially practical. It's not all in so that we can be beautiful. It's all in because Christ went all in for us. Because we are His and we belong to Him, we can now go all in and trust Him. But it's still risky. It's still scary. It's not risky, but it's scary. It feels risky. Scary things feel risky. If you're married, I'm married, 
so it's, not, it's a question I ask myself as well. Are you allowing or helping your spouse to go all in? Do you make it difficult in your relationship for your spouse to go all in with God? Are your dreams for your relationship withholding an all-inness to God? Is there a risk aversion, a faithlessness to say, I can't go all in with you on this. I can't, I, 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 can't ex- I don't want to press it too far. And I don't want to weaponize someone who wants to be, uh, express faith in one way in your marriage. This isn't a weapon to go to your spouse and go, you're not all in. That is not, you can't do that. But to encourage one another, a marriage should be a place where we're able to say, how can I help you go all in with God? This thing has a time limit on it. This relationship at the end of our lives is going to end. And as Jesus said, we're going to be raised to life. We, we are going to know each other forever in heaven. And that's wonderful. I can't wait to continue our friendship. But for now, I'm your partner in life to help you go all in with Jesus. How can I help that? What does that mean? How does it change our dreams? Maybe we'll never live in that dream house. Maybe we'll never this. Maybe we'll never that. Maybe we'll never that. Because being all in with Jesus means for us. Are you having conversations with each other saying, what does it mean for us to be all in? What are the areas of our lives that we're holding back from Him? Where are we shrinking each other's faith for our own comfort or convenience? Where am I uh, pulling you down to my faith and I can see you have faith? Let's pray about that. Let's ask God to help me and to lift my faith. Where have you caught fire? Your heart's burning for Jesus, but, but I'm rejecting that and, and standing against it. And I'm making your heart for Jesus really hard. Can you pray for me that God would soften my heart? You stay all in, but please pray that God would put fire in my belly. If you have kids, what dream are you giving them? Recently, we had to do the year 10 and a half, choose your life forever part and it was a surprise to me that I I had so much to die to I didn't know that there was so much security and safety and and secular kind of philosophy and as Zeke and I had conversations about his future what God might have for him I was shocked to see how much not all in I was in my parenting and how much I had to die to God, He needs to trust you, whatever you have for Him. It's easy to say it, but I literally experienced a death. Something inside of me had to die as I gave Him up to God's plans. God, I'm not going to push Him the way that I want Him to go. God, I'm not going to push kind of towards that because it's going to be successful. God, the greatest success is all in with you. That's very scary as a dad to push him towards an all in with you, which may mean a career that I'm not so happy about. I don't know how you feel things, but literally inside of of my chest, something died as there was a faith placed in God. God, help, I want to go all in with you. And my hands for my son opened up. I didn't even know they were closed. Didn't have a clue. I'm so glad for this year, ten and a half, 
stupid choose your life <laughs> thing because I didn't know my hands were closed and it showed me and I was able to open it up and say, God, I want to go all in with you there. In your parenting, are there places where you're holding your hands closed and you're not going on the great adventure of I'm all in with God, I'm depending on you. God, I trust you. If you're single, what are you trusting? What are you waiting for? What are you looking out for? Do you think it's, you're going to be all in once you get married or once you have your education or once you have that dream job or once you bought your house? When are you going to be uh, equipped to be all in? When can you be qualified? The youngest person probably in this room besides babies is 12-ish. You are ready to go all in. You're ready. You're ready. Bring your five bucks. And go all in with God. For those of you who maybe not answer, I just want to be very clear. Five dollars is illustrative of our lives. Not, please don't, and everyone rush up and try and put five dollars somewhere. <laughs> all in. When Jesus got baptized, uh, God spoke over him and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What had Jesus done? Not a rhetorical question. What had Jesus done when he got baptized, before he got baptized, the first 30 years? Pardon? Lived the perfect life. Ministry-wise? Nothing. Maybe built a few tables and chairs as a carpenter. He hadn't ministered to anyone yet. And yet he was already perfectly pleasing to God because, as Adam said, he was just living the life God had for him. He was preparing for ministry. Outwardly, he, you know, no one could, few people could believe that this was the Messiah. Why? Because he looked like everyone else in every way. What does it mean for you to serve God? What does it mean for you to be all in with God? What does it mean to have the voice of God say over you, this is my son. This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. It's not grand circus tricks. It's not all Mother Teresa going to the poorest of poor. It's taking our lives, what we have in our hands, and giving it to God and saying it's yours. Do you want to go all in? The only reason you can is because Jesus has gone all in for you. Let me pray for us.